0: Welcome to the number one ranked show sponsored by Direct TV Stream. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today I'm going to talk through my rankings, tell you about the number one job in America, and put my stepdad hat on for volunteer fans. But first, check it. I got issues with the Associated Press Poll. Again, Because first, like, it doesn't make any sense. Check this out. It's time for one of my favorite exercises called the Blind Resume Test. Team A is 7-0, a Power 5 team, and has three top 25 wins. Team B is 6-0, is a Power 5 team. Team C is 5-1, is a Power 5 team with a loss to a top 25 team. So who are teams A, B, and C? Team A is Oklahoma State. Team B is Wake Forest. And team C is Ohio State. Based on record and resume, A, B, and C ought to be ranked accordingly. Instead, the AP rankings shows an undefeated Power 5 Wake Forest, right, at number 16. Undefeated Power 5, yes, with three top 25 wins. Oklahoma State at number 10. And ain't beat nobody. Ohio State at number 5. I submit to you, this is asinine. And it has been for 85 years. Look, man, I'm trying to tell you. It's asinine because the AP poll tells us, as it has since 1936, that playing games, let alone winning games, doesn't matter. Why are we playing the games and the game of football, quite honestly, if we're just going to chuck the scoreboard out of the entire conversation? The fact that you won or lost is just that. A fact. The AP and many people who call themselves college football fans continue to say those facts and winning and losing do not matter. And I refuse to join them in this gross chorus rank the teams based on what they have done on the field not their jersey not their coach not their recruiting ranking and especially not the size of their fan base but by whether they beat the teams that they played ap voters claim that these are the 25 best of the 130 FPS teams in the sport. This is the reason i come up with a different methodology for the rankings column I write every Sunday on the Fox Sports app and the website. Look, my rankings consider how many AP top 25 teams a team has beaten at the time that they played and their top 25 opponent at the time. Check this out. A premium is placed on being undefeated Power five teams, though, more than likely play a tougher schedule than a group of five teams and are ranked accordingly. Being undefeated, though, supersedes strength of schedule here with the belief that winning every game a team plays is more difficult than losing a game to a good football team, Kentucky fans. Results, resume, and winning matter. When two teams have identical resumes, the eye test becomes necessary. And with that in mind, here are my top 10 teams in the country for week eight. Okay, number 10, I got Southern Methodist. They are 6-0. They were idle last week. Zero top 25 wins. At number nine, I have San Diego State. They're 6-0. They defeated San Jose State, 19-13. No top 25 wins. And at number eight, I got Coastal Carolina. The shots cleared 6-0. They come off of their bye week tomorrow where they get to try to finish the rest of their schedule undefeated. They also have zero top 25 wins. You'll notice these teams for me are really good and they are really good because combined, they have zero losses. Now I don't care if your straight the schedule is a non-alcoholic beer, okay? I don't care that you play Arizona 12 times. Winning every single game is more difficult than losing to a good football team, okay? Number seven, I have Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons are six and zero. They're coming off of an uh, of an idle week, a bye week. They have zero top twenty five wins. And number six, I have Michigan. They're six and zero. They get Northwestern in the big new kickoff game this week. They also have zero top twenty five wins. And number five, I got Michigan State. They are seven and zero. They defeated. Indiana last week, 2015, they have one top 25 win. That's Miami, a while ago. And then at number four, I got Oklahoma. They're 7-0. They defeated Texas Christian 52-31, and they have one top 25 win. Pause there for a second. You'll see the two teams with the top 25 wins are ranked ahead of the teams with zero top 25 wins. You'll also notice that those are power five teams that are ranked ahead of group of five teams. The eye test is Oklahoma versus Michigan State. Now, I can make an argument to either side that one is better than the other. But the fact of the matter is, we're still playing football. And I think that Oklahoma looks a little bit better than Michigan State today. That can change very quickly as Oklahoma doesn't have a ranked opponent this week. They got Kansas. The next week, they got Texas Tech. Michigan State is going to have Michigan next week. One of those two teams is going to win that game. And don't be shocked if they leapfrog Oklahoma here, but I want to talk about number three and number two here real quick. Number three, Cincinnati, they're 5-0. and They defeated Central Florida, 56-21. They have one top 25 win, and then Oklahoma State, they are 6-0 with three top 25 wins after beating a Texas team, y'all swear up and down is good, 32-24. Okay, I could say Cincinnati's the worse team than Michigan State. I could say that Cincinnati's the worse team than Oklahoma. But, man, I'm trying to tell y'all. This is going to sort itself out, okay? They all have top 25 wins. I'm just putting a little bit more emphasis on Cincinnati rolling into Notre Dame Stadium and then getting a W, all right? I think it's a little bit more difficult than Oklahoma beating Texas on a neutral site and a little bit more difficult than Michigan State beating Miami, period, okay? Number two, Oklahoma State. I don't think you can argue with me on this. Their blind resume test is better than any team except the number one team in the country. That'd be Georgia. But Oklahoma State has beaten three top 25 opponents, and I need to keep saying that over and over again in six games. All right? It has to matter. They were ranked at the time that they played these opponents. That is the AP, your beloved AP, telling us, Hey, we thought they were good. And then knocking them when they lose, because that's what happens. All right? They're 6-0. Pay the pokes their respect. And then number one, of course, you know, with Georgia. The only hiccup I see for Georgia at this point is if somebody can unlock the Pentagon and manage to score more than the 6.6 they're giving up a game and turn it into a ball game, I don't think that Georgia – can score with you. I don't trust Stetson Bennett in that offense to go get me 40. Now, somebody's got to turn it into a game where they got to go get 40 for that to happen, which is why I keep telling everybody that Jordan Davis ought to be a front runner for the Heisman Trophy because the Georgia defense is playing so much better than any offense in the country that it is staggering. We're having conversations now about whether or not this is the greatest defense of the modern era okay 100 and full stop now i want to talk a little bit about what i think is the best job in all of college football all right so on sunday we got news that lsu and ed orgeron are going to part ways it means he will not return to be the head coach for the LSU Tigers in 2022. For me, what that means is the best job in college football is now available. And how I couch that is until we saw Nick Saban show up at LSU, LSU wasn't any good. Like, nobody's talking about LSU as being a power. And all Nick Saban did after 27 years of coaching – is show up to Louisiana and decide I'm going to put a fence around it. I can no longer let this talent escape me, all right? In the 1990s alone, Louisiana produced Peyton Manning, Marshall Falk, and Cordell Stewart, okay? Two of those dudes are Hall of Famers. You keep those dudes in the state of Louisiana, and for a guy like Marshall Falk, you just let him play running back, then you have a squad. Imagine what LSU looks like if Peyton Manning is their quarterback. My goodness, guys. So we get Nick Saban to come in and say, hey, look, first, let's fix the facilities. He and Miss Terry donate $50,000 to a student-athlete complex, and they move the football complex next to the practice fields because he was incensed that his players had to go all the way to the stadium, which was a ways away from the football practice field, to change for practice and then get back. Okay. Then he goes around to all the high school coaches of renown in the state of Louisiana. And not only does he want to hear from them, but he wants to try to help them and giving of his time and his energy whenever he can, even if it's just a, hey, how do you run this play or that play? And in so doing, he puts together in 2002, right? Just two years after getting there, the number two class in the entire country and the number one class in the sec and then the following year he wins the first national title of his career and the first of three for lsu this century nick saban decided hey look all i gotta do is make sure that i get the guys that are here and then we can go win some games then after he left we get less miles And Ed Orgeron, who both won national titles at LSU. I don't think that I'm speaking out of school here if I say, yo, man, those aren't exactly the football geniuses that, you know, we think of Nick Saban or Lincoln Riley as. And yet, they go and win football games. And they win football games because they just kept doing what he had decided to do. Recruit the bros in the state of Louisiana and make sure that your crop is that crop, 13 of the 26 signees in that 2002 class from the state of Louisiana, and I have a bedrock belief that every good football team has at its backbone kids that are from the state, okay? It means something different for those dudes to co-play ball at the place they've been watching and at the place where their parents went to school. This is why Ed Orgeron wanted to be the LSU coach in the first place. That was his dream job, and not only did he get it, he went fifteen and zero with one of the greatest college football teams of all time. In the process, all right. Last thing I want to talk about here today, quite honestly, is I want to put on my stepdad hat, and I want to talk to Volunteers fans, okay? You, let me go at this a different way. I think I speak for everybody when I say you're a bit embarrassed. But you can't be more embarrassed, you know, than perhaps Oklahoma fans, for which I'm very familiar and you know. I imagine that when Spencer Rattler was playing football against West Virginia, he felt some kind of way about hearing a crowd full of people that claimed to support him call for the backup quarterback they got what they wanted a couple weeks later and Caleb Williams is living up to his moniker of Superman and I hope for all of our sakes that he continues to be as productive because they have shown they will turn on their starting quarterback just as soon as it ain't going well for him to say nothing of Spencer Rattler being 15 and 2 as a starting quarterback I also think that the crowd noise Has as much to do with how you feel about what you're doing as anything else in sports. It's kind of how I feel about, quite honestly, uh, Twitter. Where you can get a tremendous boost from a bunch of people agreeing with you and a bunch of people being on your team. You can also feel devastated by the mood of that crowd and those groups of people who are doing nothing but shouting you down. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, Tennessee and Lane Kiffin, head coach Ole Miss, they got some history. Okay. He became their head coach for 14 months. And then in January 2011, he decided it was time for him to take another job in sunny Southern California. And the way that they responded to this was by showing up and throwing stuff and threatening violence, so much so that he needed a police escort out of the football complex. It's 10 years ago. A lot has happened for you. A lot has happened for them. A lot has happened for Lane Kiffin since then. Those 20-somethings that were students that wanted to know why they were being left are now 30-somethings with kids, mortgages, student loans, you know, the whole bit. I say that to say, they hadn't let it go (laughs) when he showed up to play Saturday night against their volunteers. And rather than talking about Quarterback Hendon Hooker, who played lights-out football, putting everything on the line. He had a hole in his pants by the end of the game. Put up 300-plus yards of total offense. Instead of talking about their defense, holding an Ole Miss team that can go for 50 to 31 points. Instead of talking about Matt Corral, who had 400 all-purpose yards and nearly 200 on the ground for a dude that ain't supposed to be running the ball like that. What we have to talk about is you. What we have to talk about is with less than a minute to go in this game, and the game's still very much in the balance, we get Tennessee fans throwing full bottles of water. We get Tennessee fans throwing golf balls. We get Tennessee fans, or at least one, throwing a bottle of mustard not onto the field but onto the sideline as if that's any better because somebody's baby boy is down there and you're throwing these things that from that distance and from that height could seriously have injured them because you're mad at Lane Kiffin and you're mad at some officiating. This is unconscionable. It cannot be. We cannot allow this. I think about all these ways in which the crowds can influence what we're doing. I think about... AD Danny White, who not only had to issue a statement saying that the SEC was right to fine them $250,000, he had to come up with $250,000 of the athletic department's money, and I went ahead and did some simple math, and I found that you could put two kids through Tennessee without any problems whatsoever (laughs) on that amount of money, and yet you gotta throw that away because people decide they wanna act a fool at nailing that night. I think that when you think, when I think about Lane Kiffin and I think about all the things that he has purported to do and the ways in which he takes himself seriously or not so seriously, and one of the reasons we love him on Twitter is because he's good at telling jokes, is how shook he was in the post-game interview. Like, it wasn't so much that he expected to be, you know, hugged, kissed, beloved by Tennessee fans returning as the head coach of Ole Miss. It was that he could not fathom people wanting to do him harm or willing to do his team harm because they did not have. The necessary adult maturity to process their anger and their emotions. What I'm saying is these are tremendously cowardly acts. Committed by folks that are hurt. And in a sport where we claim that the game does not matter. It seemed like it was the only thing that did for a lot of these folks. And I get it, right? You live for these six home games a year, to say nothing of the 12 that we play. I remind people, we have the longest offseason in college football, or in sports, right, as college football. But I also would add to this, it shouldn't mean that much more to us. It should matter, okay? It should be unconscionable to college football fans that this is what our game has become. So I'm not going to really go at Tennessee fans as hard as we probably could here. But I am going to ask that you be introspective. I'm going to ask that you think long and hard about why you love this sport. Why you claim to be Tennessee fans, why you claim to be college football fans. And wonder, is it that this team is you? Is it that you are your team? Or is it because it makes you so very happy to watch these tweens be superheroes for a night? That's what I'm here for. I'm here for the stories. I'm here for the absurdity. I'm here because college football is my favorite sport and I don't want it besmirched by some ugliness because we're angry in the moment. You know as well as anybody else, I'm a passionate dude. I get loud, I yell, it's part of who I am. You talk to the people that work with me on this show every week, and they'll tell you the same. Full time, nonstop. But I have learned the difference between, hey, I'm very upset about the result of this game, and really wanting to go hurt somebody or hurt something because it didn't go my way. I think about the atrocity, Texas a in Alabama. I think about people fighting in the stands. And then I wonder what happened to church of sport? What happened to we all congregate and have a good time and enjoy this thing that brings us a common amount of joy, that's supposed to bring us together and how that can get so spoiled so quickly so soon Because the mob mentality takes over, and the mob mentality takes over because somebody did not have the temerity to look at a coward who threw an empty water bottle onto the field and say, No, enough. Have some class. Who raised you? You know we got to go to church tomorrow. How are you going to justify this? There aren't that many people that I'm saying just owe Lane Kiff an apology, as hard as that is for y'all to fathom, but owe those kids an apology for taking out your frustrations on them as they were doing every single thing in their power to try to win a football game. Get up, watch film, go to class on Monday and do it all over again this weekend. All right, short show, but that is our show for today. The number one ranked show is hosted by me, RJ Young. Thank you to our sponsor, DirecTV Stream. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our uh, streaming manager is Niles. Our social media manager is JV Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. And our executive producer is Kristen Hurley. that is it for me. Doses.